Hey everyone, I'm Chris, and welcome back to season three of the Superpowers Podcast Show. Have you ever asked yourself, what is your superpower? Everyone has a superpower, but most people just don't know what it is. And that's why we're here to uncover it. This podcast will not only share what our guests' unique superpowers are, but also how it helped them both professionally and personally. Superpowers, what's yours? Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Superpowers Podcast. We are season three, episode five. I hope I got that right, but if I didn't, it's all good. We are here this week with Brian Morrissey, the current founder of The Rebooting, longtime editor uh, of a number of different trades, Adweek. He started his career earlier with DM News, whatever the hell that is, Silicon Alley reporter we have heard of. Longest stint that he was able to hold a job was with Digiday and our mutual great friend, Nick Freeze and what they built there. We'll talk a little bit about it. And what I'm also keen to explore is his true venture entrepreneurial hat now with his own platform, The Rebooting. We'll talk about that. He's the founder of that. He's also dialing in with shitty, terrible connection in Miami with also a kind of average background. He looks a little bit yellow. But anyway, Brian, you're here. Welcome, man. Good to see you. Brian. Wow, that's 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 quite it's quite an intro. Yeah, Thank it's you. It's like Chris. one of the worst introductions ever. But I feel like you qualified. No, it was it was good. Let's get into it. How's it going on in Miami, man? Like, so you're you're in Miami. The whole rave around Miami. You are actually one of the few people just knowing your personality that would sort of fall into the Miami craze. But there you are. Really. Not, you're, you got palm trees behind you. Yeah, you're, you know. Wait, do you think it's like, do you think it's like on brand for me? Because we've noticed. No, I think it's off. off. I, you're okay. it's always gone the opposite. Ever since I've known you over the last 20 okay. years, you've always gone the opposite direction. So you've followed everyone down to Miami. Do you like it down there? Well, first thing, just to correct the record, I did not follow everyone down here. I, I believe that was a little bit early. It was when, you know, things were popping off in New York. The little brief summer of 2020 was nice, but um, I knew that the winter was going to suck in New York. So I think that was a, a good bet on my part. So I liked it down here. I've been surprised. I never really loved Miami um, visiting here all, all the time over the years, but like actually living here, it's like different when you live somewhere versus visit somewhere. So I it's like home it. now and you are, you are a runner. So you have to get out early before the humidity kicks in. I mean... Yeah, look, it's humid all the time here. So you just you just adapt to your your surroundings. So And then Brian, I, what's it like also? I mean, this is the only compliment you'll ever hear from me. I consider you a relatively smart guy, but you're you live in Miami. So what's that like being one of the only people that you know can read that's maybe not read spell. Yeah, spell. You're so what's that like? There's a lot of bad spelling around here, I've noticed. I live in like North Beach in Miami Beach and like this place misspelled coffee. I was like, that's hard. Like on a sign, like if you're a cafe, like you should be able to spell coffee. Especially if you sell it. Yeah. I mean, I just think that's kind of like a requirement. Yeah. I mean, it's been, look, this is like a weird time. My wife and I are moving back to New York in, in April, but it's been a good time to be, to be here. Obviously a lot of stuff's happening on Zoom and stuff like this. I still go to New York every, every six weeks or so, but I don't know. It's been good. It's also been good just to have time like away from all the, every time I go back to New York, it's like, there's a lot of like pressure and stuff like this. And people are all like, you know, work, 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 work. Yep. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And one of the things I actually like about Miami is nobody asks you what you do. It's not like the 
defining characteristic of a person. There's different people. And like, I just find that a little bit refreshing. I understand like New York, LA, like those places, like everyone just moves there because gotta get ahead, gotta get ahead. But it's like, it kind of gets old. Sounds like you have a good balance down there. Um, I think we bonded over uh, WidgetCon, which was first widget conference, 2005, the only one, the most reputable one, the, the best brand. I think that's where we kind of got to know each other in case our listeners... Am I the only person who keeps bringing up WidgetCon? No, but it's the best. Whenever I see <laughs> on the Twitter and you love talking about it, it makes me happy. It makes me... Smile. I think Jim Kierdit, I think he still remembers it. You know, he doesn't talk to me anymore. Oh. James, if you're listening, because we wrote that story about breakfast sandwiches. I don't know. We wrote that, you know, with all the petty bribery going on in the agency world, James was leaving Zenith, I think it was, for Twitter. I don't Someone on his team sent around like an email, you know, hey, we're going to get bombed tonight. So to vendors, like if you could just I remember like, that. send breakfast sandwiches. And it was funny. I remember when we had some event and I was like, yeah, totally. Let's do this story. And, um, we didn't redact the email. So he was like, all hey, sensitive. hey, Brian, let's let, let's just get this. I'm in venture now. So the good news, you know, the power of this statement right here. I don't care what brands and agencies think of me anymore. I'm going to repeat that. I don't care what brands. And, I don't need your dollars. I chase you for 20 years. I'm so in the clear. Let's just get it out. They all bribed us. I've been in sales my life. They wanted breakfast sandwich. They want the jeans. They wanted dinners. That's the way it works. Everyone's remember those Hamptons houses. Do they still do the Hamptons? I did that. I was that guy. I took the Hamptons and the Sundance houses. I even did Nantucket and almost uh, made us unprofitable. Tucket, that's big. There's actually some notion of, I think, using data and and analytics and things like that to make media uh, buying decisions, but I'm not in that world now. So, Brian, give us a little of the, the origin of Brian as far as growing up. And when did you get like your first? notepad or typewriter when did he start to write i mean everyone like writes i just never really thought about it as a a profession i just didn't think that was something people get paid to do you learn to write and then you learn how to do you know more useful things but i was always curious about how things worked and stuff like this and you know i was like a history major in college and i think the reason i wanted to be a history major i know it's not popular now because you got to like do data or whatever it's like making sense of the world and being able to be able to succinctly explain, you know, complex things. That's sort of where, for me, if someone's going to be like in editorial or create content in any way, you got to be really curious about things and and be able to explain things in a sim- simple way, but that's not simplistic. It turned out that there was a way to make a living doing that. So the world is complex and like, you know, you need to like sort of be able to look at things and and connect dots and stuff like this and understand what's truly going on. Whereas I feel like a lot of people just, um, yeah, they rush from the latest to the greatest, from widgets to apps. (laughs) Right. Or speaking to me, but you also do it with, I think, a nice, a witty, sarcastic, and I think digestible tone. Is that something that you have grown into? You're definitely fun on Twitter and navigating Twitter is so hard. I've never been able to figure it out, but you have something that works. You have a brand and a tone that works. I would just say like broadly right now, like what's going on is there is this shift from like institutions to individuals in some ways. And I think there's a lot of advantages to just, um, you know, people have more connection with other people rather than like abstract concepts. And I think that's what the promise of like the the air quotes creator economy 
Because like, you know, when you're building like a institutional brand, you're giving it sort of humanoid characteristics that you thought up and are sort of based on, maybe they're based around personality or belief systems and stuff, but like, they're still kind of abstract. Whereas I feel like, you know, and I think Twitter was a good example of this. It, it allowed people to develop that same kind of thing, but it's based on like who they are. Now, a lot of this is fake in some ways, like people create their own personas. And what's happening right now is people can sort of just forge their own paths and, and be themselves because the like, personality is like a differentiator. I don't, I think to me, it's like a side dish, like point of view. It's like a more powerful differentiator than like personality, but right. it's a nice to have. It's like, it's frippery. But I also think there's some consistency. I think you're relatively authentic with your, your tone is consistent. You've also been in the industry for a long time. So people know who you are and you've also been all, you know, relatively, seasoned. you've been seasoned. You're old. You're much older. The Shia Moses and I would always joke. You're older like, and grayer. Seasoned, seasoned as like a, as a, a euthanism for old. Yeah, well, sure. However you want to make yourself feel good about it. But the, the reality of it is that if you're going to write, you have to be independent and you can't have a side or have skin in the game. I think there's always been kind of that independence. I want to talk a little bit about, look, there's a lot of different jobs we could talk about, but I, I do want to talk about your shift from where most people have known you the last you know nine plus years at Digiday and building that brand up. You and Nick and the team, excellent team over the years. Talk a little bit about your Digiday experience, partner with Nick, what you guys built there, what you left there. And then what was the segue to going on your own? Yeah, I mean, like 10 years ago, I met up with Nick, who founded Digiday a couple of years prior. And if you remember it back then, it was like an events company, basically. There was like a thousand people went to the website a month. So it was not like the normal, the normal thing like was to have like events and then like add on like an email newsletter and keep banging people over the head to get the events. Because you, when you have an event, you don't really have a brand. I mean, you're competitive advantage is being able to rent out a ballroom and like get a bunch of people that into it. I mean, that's not that hard to do, to be honest with you. And so, you know, publishing is obviously the way to differentiate. But what I saw, because I was at AdMeet was, you know, there was no economic model there. We were spending 80% of our time on a print product, even though 80% of our audience was being reached through things like email newsletters and events and stuff like this. And they were unable to to fix that. The 50 under 50, the 50 over 50, the 15 under 15, the, and, and like, you know, all of these lists there, there's not that much economic value really being created there. I also just knew like my risk profile was, was not probably to, you know, there where I could just do it solo because, you know, being a journalist, you're not making much money. So it's not like, uh, you know, I, I was on the sales side, socking it away. Like you salespeople do. Yeah. And so that was the reality. Like I remember having like $6,000 in my bank account and I was well over 30. With Digiday, it was like a good like in between. It was, you know, about like a four or five person company at that point. And so it was almost like building from scratch, but it wasn't because like there was an events business that it was producing revenue. And that gave like a base in order to figure out the brand and stuff like that. The downside was, you know, a lot of times it felt like operating two different businesses to some degree because the dynamics of the event side were different than the dynamics from the publishing side. But, you know, overall, I think it was like a big benefit to have that kind of that kind of model and not be dependent on advertising. Did so, you, so, so Brian, on the magazine front, though, I've always been curious. I know you touched on it, but 
does, did those things make money? Did it, did it make, I know you guys were rolling out magazines at a time where everything was kind of going digital. And I was always very curious about that. Oh, no, that's like a brand piece. The job of the events was mostly revenue and margin, right? I mean, it was like, yeah, there was, you know, everyone in B2B particularly loves to say community and stuff like this. And it's true, it was a community, but it was really a marketplace model where there was matchmaking between the buy and the sell side. The, the content, the programming, I could be up there. I can remember distinctly. I, I'm talking to like, you know, Justin Smith and like, you know, at the publishing summit, the CEO of Bloomberg Media. I'd say three quarters of the room was empty because it was all salespeople who wanted to go sell to each other or out by the coffee. And like, that's fine. That's the job that those events do. The content is just there as a showpiece, but it's third or fourth um, most important thing. It's under cocktail parties. You know, the upside of it is, you know, there's a lot of publishers there or whether it was like agencies or whatever, and you can efficiently get a nice read on what's going on in the industry. That's the job of the events. The job of like, you know, when we started the magazine, I mean, it was just like some idea that came to me when I was like running one time for Brooklyn, um, was more of like a brand thing is to elevate the brand. And sometimes you got to do things that are not purely revenue plays. Just having a new form factor is to push into like memberships and, and direct revenue because, you know, events are very seductive. You can just keep doing events, keep churning them out, churning them out, churning them out. Brian, do you enjoy all those other aspects from the cocktails to the sort of the, uh, the networking side of things? Or were you always just sort of keen to understand and explore stories? What, the networking side? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess. You know, it takes up a lot of energy and stuff like this. I'm terrible with remembering, like, names and stuff. You're expecting, like, because it seems rude if you don't remember people's names, but I'm just, like, not good at it. Like, I, it's just, I've never been good at it. So you always have to do that sort of, like, you know, glance down at the lanyard thing. I've gotten pretty good at it, though. You have to kind of look off to the side a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, but like, I don't like when people like call you out on that shit or like, you don't remember me. Oh, like, the worst. Oh, yeah. Like, remember? come on. Like, it is nothing personal. I don't right. think. Like, By the way, Brian, I've always been fairly good at it, but coming out of, um, coming out of, you know, 18 months of a pandemic, you know, people are wearing, you know, masks and my brain is used to seeing them in a different way. So now I feel like I almost have to like reboot and retrain. Reboot. Uh, I like you using that. I appreciate, I appreciate you working that in. I remember like I was, I was going to moderate some session. I ran into you and you were like, oh, let me talk to you a bit. And then you were like, what do I need to pay you to write? And you were joking around, I think. Right. <laughs> and like, they had my microphone still on. I remember. Oh my God. That wasn't Widgetcon? That wasn't Widgetcon. That was after Widgetcon. Oh yeah. But it was like an open bribe. Yeah. No, yeah, it's an open bribe situation. I think the intent there was to try to get you in a little bit of trouble. I don't know if it was, uh, if it was <laughs> an actual bribe. No, okay. I mean, it was, I don't know if it was real. Let's, let's shift gears. So the read thing, Brian, <laughs> how did this come about? Generally when ideas are created, I feel like it's a process. It's a journey. It's there's discovery where you're like, should I do this? And where's the opportunity? And it's a huge, very brave moment for anyone to go put themselves out there. But you obviously saw something, something was pulling you to do this. So what, Explain to our audience, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Are you any good at it? Oh, TBD. I think like over the years with Digiday, I liked the period of when we were like growing. Like we were, we ended up getting to like 75 people. I think I went down some during the pandemic, but maybe it came back up. But, you know, I, I liked it when before we 
broke into departments and stuff. Like there was a period where like everyone reported to me or to Nick and stuff like this. And as the company grew, like I just kind of felt like, um, like, you know, like you can do a lot of the organizational stuff, that internal stuff. And that's what I was like, you know, I would chart down like what I was spending most of my time on. And most of the time it's just some managerial stuff. I can do that, but it's not a, a super passion of mine. Like <laughs> holding meetings and stuff like this. Brian, I just got to, sorry, I got to jump in. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, if there's one thing, so first of all, I consider myself a good founder and an idea guy. I don't consider myself a great day-to-day operator, which maybe a lot of people don't know. And certainly one-on-ones, meetings, pay raises, vacation requests, people quitting, too emotional. I just, yeah, I like, I like being independent, kind of like a cat. You're an outdoor cat too. I'm an outdoor cat. Because I like the outdoor cats. Or our reporters, I preferred outdoor cats to indoor cats. Because indoor cats, they just sort of like curl up. They look for a place. They're soft. Sun. They're soft. But outdoor cats, they're like going down to the back with like pieces, like tufts of fur missing and stuff. Pieces of meat, taking down the other neighborhood cat. Maybe maybe they chase down a dog. I'm an outdoor cat. Yeah, some kind of like, thing oozing out of their eye because yeah got some yeah. sort of yeah oh, they're de- like, and they're definitely they're definitely diseased yeah i think nothing could take them down nothing no. can take them down yeah you know 19 years then they're like they're like light and they're just like skin and bones and yeah muscle tawny anyway so i i sort of wanted to i saw that and like also i just like after 10 years i'm sort of like i don't know you sort of get on autopilot to be yeah. honest with you it's like I used to describe like the last like few years of Digiday, like I didn't do work. Work was sort of done to me. I would like get up, get on the ferry, get off, and then a bunch of shit would come at me and I would do the best I could for like eight or so hours. And then I would get back on the ferry and then the next day I would come in, a bunch of shit would come at me and I would try to do the best I could with the shit. Yep. <laughs> and that was basically the existence. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a long time too. That's a long time. Yeah. What do you in your wise midlife age want to do more of? And what do you like, you know, you've kind of earned the right, I think, to say, these are things I just don't want to do anymore. So what do you want to, what excites you now? And I guess this is about the reboot. Yeah. So like when I left in like October, I had no idea what I was going to do. And like, to be honest with you, I think I'm a lot of, like I had like a non-compete and stuff with, with leaving that I couldn't do anything. And I really didn't want to do the same stuff again. I just think that's kind of boring started the rebooting as just like a newsletter to stay active, to have something to do while I spent a year running, working on my, uh, my running times and whatnot. By the way, what is your running times now? I can do a six minute mile, but I can, I can, I think I can get under six minutes. I don't know. Like that's what I missed my like running session last night at the track. I don't know. Going to the track is weird. I never went to the track before. So did you miss your thing? Cause you were preparing for our conversation. I mean, it's fine. I didn't want you to over prepare, but that's sweet of you. So I have like this 76 year old Italian neighbor, Franco, and I met Franco one time when I was running and then I was like, oh, like you want to, you want to run a little bit? And it turns out he's 76 years old and like, he could like keep up. We were running like seven days and he could keep up. Amazing. And so I asked the guy, I was like, Franco, I have to ask you, what's the secret? And he was like, I didn't start running until I was seven. <laughs> Stop. I was like, oh, shit. I thought he was going to say like meatballs or good sex. No, 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 no. It's not the olive oil. He just didn't, he just didn't start running. I would have to like bike down to uh, South Beach because I never bought, I never got a car. So I was like, do I really want to ride an hour in order to like run yeah. hard? So that's why. But anyway, what I ended up 
finding out with the rebooting is what I was writing about it is rather than writing about like the commentary or the takes about the Twitter thing or Dave Portnoy or whatever, I can do that stuff. What I found kind of interesting was that I feel like there's this period where like people are creating new uh, media brands. I really do think that it's happening. And I was just spending like, I think when, when the pandemic happened, I think people either go in two directions, either like want the sort of V-shaped recovery to go right back to how everything is. And maybe that's probably how it'll turn out. But I'm a big believer that like, you know, crises are terrible opportunities to waste. And I really do think that, and maybe it's being living in, in Miami, but I do think that this is the time to rethink how we do lots of different things. And like, Building sustainable media businesses is like really important to democracy and society. And I sort of realized that that's what I was passionate about. Like I wasn't passionate about building events. So like that get their solutions in front of like, you know, potential customers. That's something. It's just not something that I'm necessarily passionate about. It's a means to an end. And I would always say that to like our like team. I'm like, what we're doing here is contributing to trying to, to, you know, preserve and, and to further the building of sustainable media businesses. One, by like covering it, what's working, what's not, and being honest about it, but also by doing it ourselves. We were not like, we didn't have venture funding or anything like this and grew the business to being, well, real the numbers, I'll let Nick do that. But like, you know, it was a profitable business and 75 people and it was in different countries and I'm proud of that. What I recognize is there was an opportunity to, write about the building of sustainable media businesses, not just as an observer, but someone who did it. Like I wasn't just editor. I know like I'm also often thought of as like on the editorial side and stuff like this, but you know, that was really, that was a big part of my job because I think it's the most important thing in a media company, weirdly, but there's a lot more to building a business. What I want to do with the rebooting is for it to be not just a newsletter, but I'm going to have a podcast and eventually do events building sustainable media businesses because I knew from our own events like people and you know this like people learn from each other the people who are doing stuff how are you defining Brian sustain like a sustainable business are you talking about a healthy business a profitable business a, a long lasting business I mean yeah. all of those things you know I think like what the pandemic showed was that we sort of underrated resiliency right I mean we're seeing all this with the supply chain problem we chose to optimize to efficiency over resiliency and that's fine. That's a choice. But it, uh, all choices come with downsides and, and we're dealing with the downsides. I mean, just in time manufacturing it, it is, is, is wonderful. It's great for margins, right? Who wants to keep inventory? Well, now you have no inventory. So don't complain. Yep. I mean, you know, like if you just keep following, if you keep chasing this because that's what Wall Street wanted, then you're going to deal with downsides and now you're dealing with the downsides. So I don't want to hear the crying. You know, I think with sustainable media businesses, it's about, you know, not chasing the latest thing, but having like a solid foundation that is having like direct connection with your audience, having like a real audience, not one that you rent from Facebook or from Google and having a solid business model behind it. That's often, you know, direct revenue because you have direct uh, connection with your consumer. It doesn't need to be. There's a lot of, you know, advertising still a very good market. And then we'll end up uh, standing the test of time. I think a lot of people in the Facebook era, built a lot of flimsy media businesses, flimsy brands that meant nothing to anyone. I can remember all these, like, you know, we used to do these autopsy as like a format and some site would close down. Everyone would be like, oh, this is terrible. And then like a week later, nobody <laughs> would give a shit. 
And that's because like, it's, you know, I guess it's sad to say, but most of the stuff out there doesn't really matter to many people. And a lot of people really focused on the optimization piece rather than creating like a real solid media brand as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. They're chasing dollars. How, how do you think about the world today as it relates to your ecosystem of writing and reporting and the fake news challenges and just, you know, look, I'm, this is not my art trade, but I'll tell you and I'll admit it. Mm-hmm. I love 60 minutes. I like, love 60 minutes on Sunday because I feel like it's one of the only shows that I get really good reporting and, and journalism. You should be like the new Andy Rooney. <laughs> you know, I was so fucking grumpy. He was just like, so angry. I'm not, I'm not angry. I know this, but like, I know, but you just do it your own way. What I liked about Andy Rooney is the guy was like a real, he was like, he landed a D-Day and stuff like this. But then you get to a point where you've earned your stripes, right? Yeah. And so he totally, transparently was mailing it in for decades. He'd be like, oh shit, I got a segment coming up. Let me look into like, yeah. Oh my God, they got- What's with these? What's with these cereals? They used to have yeah. Some cereals, and I was right. Yeah, there's. Why can't I find toilet paper when I'm trying to use the bathroom? If you just know that toilet paper should be, I mean, it was just totally melted in. Just and amazing. And it's just that, amazing. By the way, you know, he's an inspiration to all anyone who out there is like someone who feels pressure on deadline. Just, just think to yourself, what would Andy Rooney do? And the answer is, he would just open up his like cabinet and be like, "What's going on in here?" Oh, that's interesting. I know. It was basically sort of kind of witnessing a a real life uh, hoarder, but also an incredible, you know, writer. I wonder if he wanted those quick segments at the end of the show or they were asking him to take them. But that, that, listen, anyway, my point there is I like that show because it's good writing reporting. And today, you know, there's there's some still, you know, some reputable trades this what's your macro on where we are and you know my kids are 10 and 8 like are they gonna be reading yeah. authentic stuff what's the macro i mean i think the macro is like there's just a giant trust problem when it comes to the entire media ecosystem that needs to be solved you know people with the information that they're receiving like whether it's true or quote-unquote biased or not there's also a lot of trust problems with advertisers they're getting what they pay for with this overly complicated ad tech ecosystem there's a lack of trust with clients whether their agencies are are actually looking out for their interests as an agent of them rather than as a vendor themselves there's a lack of trust in publishers and so on and so forth. So I think all of those things are... So you're saying we're tracking to, we're tracking to a good place? Well, I think that, that, that there are like changes going on. If you look at like things that are doing well, let's leave aside all the cookie stuff and whatnot. Like I find that's just irredeemably boring. Um, what's that? That was, that was my attempt to snoring when I hear things oh. cookies. I'm so scarred from so many years of, of, of in that world that I, did I mention that I'm super happy that I'm doing venture and early stage investing and not chasing media? Del- did I mention that yet? You're not like investing in someone's like digital fingerprinting. Dude, we don't invest in ad tech. Not, I don't no, need on it. It's no. just, I, we're, we've done it. Anyway, back to you, back to you. That's not about me. It's about you. It's about the third party cookie. That's what it's care. <laughs> But if you look at the things that are really like growing and that there's a lot of excitement around in media, I think you can, or in just the information media, like why are newsletters hot again? Why are podcasts hot? And, and mostly it's because it's a direct relationship 
with an individual more than an institutional brand. So I do think like for all of the nonsense about the creator economy and even crypto itself, like with this decentralization, I do think there's something there that like moving from institutions to individuals is really powerful. And, and if you circle back to the trust problem, it's just, it makes sense. Like we trust people more than we trust institutions. Like that's the truth. You're saying, Brian, what I'm hearing is that there's a rise in almost the newsletter craze that we grew up with decades ago is happening again because there are more authentic relationship with consumers based on these things being built from the ground, you know, from the ground up. Yeah, but leave aside Morning Brew. Everyone goes to like Morning Brew and, and no offense to Austin and the team. Yeah. But like if you look at like what's going on with Substack, you know, it's around individuals. I think Substack in some ways is underrated at, as what it's enabled because it is a media business in a box. Like you can start a media business tomorrow, like literally, like not even tomorrow, today. And you just hook up your Stripe account and you've got a media business. It sends out emails and they, and they always arrive. It's amazing. Anyway, right, we, right, we, we, we use it for my shows here so I can plug what I want. Yeah. Or our C2 Ventures newsletter. We, we use Substack. We love it. We love it. I, so I think, you know, people are like, no, oh, it's not like the, the technology is, I was like, oh, I don't know. Like MailChimp was worth what, like a trillion dollars or something. Yeah. Anyway, I think Substack does a lot of things really well, but I think it's part of, it's a canary in the coal mine with like where things are sort of going and people trust individuals more. People trust people with expertise more. I mean, one of the things that I find very exciting about this phase is, look, a lot of people have expertise in areas. Very few of them can also like really communicate regularly about that. But I think like when you see these platforms evolving, like the idea that people share their expertise in areas, I think is really powerful. And that could be companies too. When I think about the rebooting of media, like I'm not like one of these like journalist types who hates on companies starting their own media operations. I think they should because they have a lot of expertise in, in their areas to share. I mean, it, it makes a ton of sense. I like that. Like I, I'm crypto curious because I live in, in Miami, although this is more Bitcoin. I was told that Miami's Bitcoin and like New York is Ethereum and I'm more Ethereum guy than I am uh, Bitcoin. But anyway, when I'm trying to figure out what the hell's going on with crypto and web three stuff, there, there's so many great resources from places like Andreessen Horowitz that are really valuable. And so I don't have the sort of snobbish view of the sort of future of media, future journalism crap. It's weird you said that. I've always considered you a bit of a snob. By the way, when you... Really? Um, <laughs> I'm a man of the people, Chris. When you mentioned uh, MailChimp, I have a Medium article I'm going to share with you, Brian, that I think you could just riff on and have some... We, Me and my partner have a list of worst company names. We've been collecting it for three years. And I think that's something you should also explore. Like, what's the worst company name that you can recall over your many years? Can you think of it? Well, I mean, I have to go to ad tech, right? And I have to give Ari Paparo a shout out because like, I will know the pandemic is truly over when like Ari is wandering the, the floor of New Mexico, taking photos of bizarre European ad tech brands. Cause that's, yeah. <laughs> he did, he's done this for years. It's like an annual tradition. I would say that I always liked ads you like. That's a French ad tech company. <laughs> <laughs> ads you like. You know, I think, no, ads you like, which, you know, the name's on the tin, I guess. And they actually do some, some stuff. So, but you know, naming, naming things is hard, particularly in ad tech. Cause it's like, it's going to go away anyway. Like we used to have this comedian 
who would come to our events and do, and he was like really good. Like he would like sit in on sessions and stuff like this. And then he would like do a routine that night. I don't know if you ever saw this guy. Who's it? I forget. He did clean corporate comedy, which is a really difficult genre. It's a niche because it's like, it's hard to be boring. Like we used to get these comedians for these awards. I remember we had this guy, Rodney. Oh my God. He was horrible. He was telling these off color jokes that people don't want to hear that shit. Like when they're there with their clients or their coworkers and stuff. Anyway, this guy would like riff on like the bizarre company name. So he used to always go in on like Andy Monfried at low to me about how well, well I it started like a lotion for like some sort of rad. So Brian, I'm going to send this, I'm going to send this to you. I'll tweet it at you. Uh, here's just a quick few because we're going to muscle prodigy 3d bear, which is basically a drug you're offered at a, at a nightclub mind sauce, love sack. Yes. There's a love sack ancient ritual owl factor. By the way, for any founders here, not knocking, just, you know, we got to, we got to keep track of this. All right. Off of the list. Names are, are, I was also thinking this, like with the um, new, like COVID treatments are coming out. I don't like, what is it with the pharma naming practice? Like the Merck one, I can't pronounce any of these names. What, why are they making these? Why can't they just like name them, you know, put an LY on something? No. COVIDly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, no. it's why would they make it that easy? They wouldn't do that. I like the ones that are like Covavax or Covishield. Yeah, those, well, those sound those, those sound like they actually work. That sounds like, yes, give me that. Give me yeah. COVID. No, no, that sounds, if, I, if there's a shield in it, like that is, I want that over Pfizer all day long. Brian, if I had to ask you what you thought your superpower was, and don't be shy here, but what do you, what do you think, how you see it? I don't know how to answer that without it being like incredibly self-serving. No, that's, right? that's, that, that's the idea here. Like, look, it's hard, right? Because when I think when I, you know, I've known you for a long time. So I think total honesty, this is, I'm being serious for a minute, which is hard with you. You know, honest, direct, very, you're authentic. You're kind of, as we talk about Rooney, you are very authentic. You're, you're, you're kind of a pioneer in this respective digital editorial space, but you're also kind of like, you're kind of like an OG. You're sort of older OG. You've been around for a long time. Seasoned. Chris, we're, res- we're going with seasoned. You're respected, which has come. The only way you get respected and people follow or listen is if you believe in the voice. So like, I have a hard time unpacking that from a superpowers perspective. So I need you to do my job for me. All right. This is going to sound like self-serving, but I try not to be full of shit. I really do. That's, I just told you you're not full of shit. You're good. I know, but that's, that's what I'm, that's it. Yeah. There's a superpower I sort of want because I think when you go through life, you realize how full of shit a lot of people. You are a bullshit reader, Brian. I tell you over and, coxies over the years, you always are able, you, you, I remember I'd be pitching you something and you'd be like, Chris, really? <laughs> like, is that, are you, are you really, is that really what <laughs> your, your tech does? Like you're, you're, you're incredible. You're a bullshit reader, but no, go ahead. Your turn. I still went to WidgetCon though. Best conference ever. <laughs> Change your life. Change your my, life. My bullshit reader was like, rah, rah. it was like smoky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was excited for widgets and I think they were onto something with the, the widgets. It was before apps. So like, um, that's when we moved into app savvy. Everything is fake. And even like with like authenticity, like things are being manufactured to see, to be passed off as like authentic. So I don't know if it's, it's kind of anti-strategic to just sort of be, you know, 
honest about how things are and and not with any malice or anything. I, I don't really have any malice for anything. I would always, I remember like, you know, we would like write things that people wouldn't like and they'd be like, you need to be more supportive of the end. I'm like, really? What? Why? Why? <laughs> so what yeah, is it, Brian? What is it in a few words? What is your superpower? Not being full of shit. Not being full of shit. Boom. That's it. That's how we're going to, that's it. That's how we're going to conclude. Brian, what do other people say? doesn't matter this is yours not full of shit this is going to be great um brian morrissey from miami with the shitty i'm like uh, the worst, by the way miami is the worst the worst context this should claim that your superpower is but not full of shit because you're not full, full of no shit. but you're yeah i know you're not full of shit you do have shitty internet connection uh, te- terrible I, That's why I got to move back to New York. For any listeners that stuck stuck with us here and a couple stopping goes, it's all good. Shitty internet connection, Brian Morrissey. Bullshit smeller. Um, Brian, such a pleasure to see you down there. I look forward to reclaiming you back in the great city of New York. But it, until then, enjoy your warm sunshine and your nice beach runs uh, while we get crushed. Wait, can I give a plug that people should subscribe to the rebooting my newsletter comes out once a week where how do you do it how do you do it it's the rebooting.substack.com my growth guy tells me i need to be more self oh no yeah okay anywhere else? i've started retweeting people saying nice things about my newsletter anywhere else they can find you well i'm having a podcast coming out soon tbd tbd it's in All like right. a week Okay, look up for Brian Morrissey's podcast, everyone, The Rebooting. Such a pleasure having you, Brian. And uh, thanks for joining the Superpowers podcast, man. See you back in New York. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode, everyone. New episodes of the Superpowers podcast are released twice a month. So please subscribe and follow us on our website to get notified on future shows. Superpowers, what's yours? This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.